Well, hey, we're so thankful that you are here with us, whether you're joining us in person or online here in the States internationally. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors on our team at our Calhoun campus, and I'm excited to worship with you today through the word, through the message, and just have a conversation together, no matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done. We just want you to know that we believe that you're joining us today for a reason. We've prayed for you already and we're excited that you are here. And as we kick off uh, our conversation today, a couple of questions came to my mind as we're thinking about this time of year and the holidays have come and gone in a flash and now it's the new year and, and we're thinking about our lives in a new way. We're maybe examining ourselves and asking ourselves questions. And I think these two questions kind of are the two questions that a lot of us are thinking about right now. Number one, what do you like and what do you want? These are those historic questions, right? Who am I and why am I here? It's those same type of questions. And many of us are asking these questions right now. And some of us who call Rock Ridge or call a church home, you've got to answer these questions. And this is why you raise your hands and worship. And then this is why you show up week in and week out. For some of us, we're here looking for the answers to these questions because circumstances, life, the holidays, even new experiences, what we're going through at work and our relationships with our family as empty nesters, as just figuring out how the rest of our high school senior year, what that's going to look like. And we're thinking about college. All these things happen in life and they happen unexpectedly and all of a sudden. And in these moments and in these challenges, in these decisions that you and I are faced with, on a daily basis, or like this season we're in, that just kind of natural, this natural rhythm of thinking about a new year and who we are, we come back to these two questions. Who am I? What am I like? And what do I want? But it'd be curious to poll like those people who spend the most time around you, for you to ask them these two questions about yourself. And so many of us are here asking those questions, and then we are here specifically tuning in here with Rockbridge because we also are asking these questions about Jesus. Because of our situation, because of the challenges we face, what is Jesus like, and what does he want? What, is, what, what, what I'm going through right now has got me asking questions about this and asking me, got me asking questions about how would he want me to fill in the blank with the situation that you're in. These are two extremely helpful questions. Whether you're asking those two initial questions or not, I think for this new year to kind of start fresh, I'm thinking about like a restart, like a refresh, almost like we're reframing our mindset and we're looking ahead. These are two great questions for us to ask. Even over the next week, just to think about what is Jesus like? And what does he want? Two really good questions. And what we're going to do today is we're going to go to the book of John, the Gospel of John. It's in the New Testament, one of the four Gospels. And we're going to approach chapter 4 in the Gospel of John. You can open up your Bible. You can turn it on, open up your app. You can join with because I'm going to have it on the screen here so you can follow along on the screen. We're going to look at John. John was one of Jesus' closest of followers, one of his disciples. He was an eyewitness of Jesus, of his life, of his ministry. And we're just going to approach chapter 4 with these two questions in mind and walk away from chapter 4 going, hey, how can chapter 4 help us answer these two questions today? 
And as we start with John, a pattern I want us to be aware of. Anytime you're approaching the Bible, you always got to remember it was written by people with, with a certain context, right? And they have a certain way that they write. There's a pattern that you can see in the Gospel of John. And it it's a pattern of miraculous claims followed by miraculous signs. And before we jump into chapter 4, I think it would be helpful for us if we were to take a step back and look at chapters 1, 2, and 3 very quickly. It's kind of like jumping into a conversation halfway. Like if we just jump into chapter 4 without thinking about chapters 1, 2, and 3, we might miss some things or some certain context, some patterns that, that we could have seen before that could help us as we continue in reading and in the conversation that we're going to have today. So we're going to jump through chapters 1, 2, and 3, pointing some things out that I think will help set us up for chapter 4 and show us some examples of this pattern here. And I'm going to use a resource from uh, a resource called The Bible Project. They're an incredible resource to help you understand the Bible. They create animated explainer videos that teach you different books of the Bible. So they've actually got a couple of videos that just walk through the Gospel of John, like chapter by chapter. They talk about things like grace and forgiveness and, and, and heaven and all types of themes and concepts throughout the Bible. Can't recommend them enough. But I want to use uh, some pictures from some of their videos to kind of get us through the first three chapters of John. And they point us here in John chapter 1. He opens up with this phrase, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he's using the word as a phrase to describe Jesus. And if you think about it, if you, maybe you follow somebody like on in articles or blogs, or you watch their YouTube videos or their documentaries, you read their words sometimes on a screen, and you, and you just like them as an, as an author, and you just follow them, and you really appreciate their work. You're like, man, I love reading their words, but goodness, it would be so good to talk to them in person, wouldn't it? It's just different. When you talk to someone in person versus reading their words, John is saying, hey, Jesus is God's word become a person. Think about the Old Testament. And, and this phrase starts off exactly like Genesis chapter 1 does, right? In Genesis chapter 1, there's some parallels here. In John chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1 starts off in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And John starts off in a very similar way to, to get us to think about something that this person we're talking about, Jesus, he was with God in the beginning. He existed before he existed as a person that we just celebrated right when he came to the earth through the Christmas story. And it's like Jesus is the embodiment. If we would read the whole Old Testament, like, God, these words are great, but I wish you would just come and talk to me in person. Jesus is that. For us, the Word of God, God Himself, God's Word, become flesh, become a man. And then you see John relate Jesus to the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament. Just like God used to come and fill the temple and that's where God's people would meet with God. Now Jesus has come like a living temple, like a living, breathing, walking tabernacle. And it's through Him that we meet God now. Incredible. And towards the end of chapter 1, it just simply says Jesus is the one true God. He's God's Son. That He is equal with God, with God in the beginning. 
and towards the end of chapter 1, uh, as we get to see Jesus and as Jesus calls some of his first disciples, throughout that story and, and, and some other interactions, Jesus is given seven different titles. And again, John's parallel in chapter 1 in Genesis, where what happens in chapter 1 in Genesis? God creates the heavens and the earth, the universe, in seven days. And this is a parallel with the seven titles, just like God's spoke in the beginning and created everything. Now God through his son Jesus is speaking and doing what God did in the beginning. But through the gospel, God is speaking in a new way. And it's going to change hearts just like it changed the universe when he's spoken into existence. And now, just, just like when God created everything in seven days and constantly said, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good. Now God is speaking and doing something new in the world through his son Jesus, and it is good. It is very good. So John's like, you've got to pay attention to this person. You've got to pay attention to his words. He's not just a person. He's more than a man. He's the son of God. He's God with us. Miraculous claims, right? So now we follow the pattern into some miraculous signs. In chapter 2, we have this wedding feast. You may have heard about this or read about this where Jesus goes up to a wedding feast. They run out of wine and he turns some water into wine and it shocks the guests. And they're so surprised because they're like, hey, you saved the best wine for last. Typically in that culture, you gave the, the best wine at first and the cheaper wine at the end. But when Jesus is part of it, like the best is yet to come. And so we can get distracted by some of the conversations we have about this, about alcohol or no alcohol. That's not the point. What John wants us to see is that by Jesus doing this, he wants us to think back into the Old Testament. Some of the prophets, they talked about this Messiah who would come, that the world would be lost in darkness, that people would just be astray and they wouldn't be following God and there would just be these consequences of sin like this web of darkness in the world and, and greed would exist and self-centeredness and pride and racism and all of these things would happen that would have this ripple effect on the world and create this type of darkness where it would just be really hard to see God, and it's almost like they were describing our world right now. For some of us, it can just be really hard to see God in our situation, in our circumstance right now. And these prophets talked about a time when someone would come, and they described like his coming as like a wedding feast, that he would bring joy and generosity and grace into the world. And even Isaiah 25, he says, the, the Messiah would come and his kingdom would have great wine. And, and, and the point is that it would be like that, he would reveal the generosity of God's kingdom. So this sign is a symbol and a sign that, hey, the one that they spoke about is here. His time has come. And then in chapter 2, again, we see this incredible interaction where Jesus goes into the temple in this place that was meant, in this place where they're supposed to like worship God and speak with God and be gracious with one another. They had turned this part of the temple into a marketplace where they were selling things and they were selling sacrifices and taking advantage of people who maybe couldn't afford certain animals for the sacrificial system. So it just turned into something that God did not design it to be. So Jesus goes in with a whip and gets just clears this area out, clears all these people that are taking advantage of these other people out of the way. And this heated interaction comes up between Jesus and these people. They're wondering what he's doing. And he talks about the temple. He says, destroy this temple and it will be raised again in three days. So they thought he was talking about the physical temple and they just laughed at him. But he was really talking about his body. Again, going back to chapter 1, that we, Jesus is the one, like in the Old Testament, the temple was where we met with God and where God's presence was filling the temple and he was revealing his will to his people. 
Now through Jesus, God reveals his will to his people. He's a living, breathing temple. This is, he is where heaven and earth meet. This is what the temple is supposed to point to, to Jesus. Miraculous claim, right? The miraculous sign. And in chapter 3, Jesus has another conversation, a midnight kind of a secret conversation with a teacher, a rabbi. And the theme of this conversation is simply this, that, that the teacher of Israel comes to Jesus at night secretly and is just like, listen, we know that you're a good teacher and that you come from God because nobody can do what you do. Unless they're from God. In other words, Jesus, we get it. Like, calm down. We know who you are. We've, we understand. But, but why are you calling us out so much? And Jesus just simply responds, no one can experience God's kingdom without being born again. A miraculous sign, right? Like, like, John, like uh, Nicodemus, this, this teacher who comes at night, it's like, Jesus, we get it. Just explain to us. Explain to us the new information that God wants us to know. And Jesus is like, you don't need new information. You need a new heart. You need a new heart. And that's the same message for you and I. Some of us are here like we want A, B, C, D. We just want to be told what to do to fix our situation. I'm just like, oh, sometimes I sound like Nicodemus because I can ask God for that. And God's like, Zach, you don't just need new information. You might need a new perspective, a new mindset, a new heart. And that sets us up for John chapter 4. Miraculous claims, miraculous signs that lead us into another miraculous conversation where Jesus brings up eternal life and he compares it to water that he gets from a well with a Samaritan woman. That's where we're jumping in today together in John chapter 4 as we continue to ask these two questions, right? What is, what is Jesus like and what does he want? Jumping into John chapter 4 together. We start in verse 1. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, this is John the Baptist, this was a leader that had come before Jesus, really announcing that Jesus was coming, that the Messiah was coming. So he developed a following. And then now Jesus, through, through his miraculous claims and his miraculous signs, he's starting to develop a following. And the people are noticing it. People are noticing it. So he left from Judea and he went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. This is the, like where this whole interaction is going to take place. And Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. Hottest part of the day. Hottest part of the day. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. This would have been an interesting interaction to begin with because, like I said, this is the hottest part of the day. And at this time, like you knew that you either went in the morning to get water because it wasn't as hot or you went in the evening to get water because it wasn't as hot. If you went during the middle of the day, you were going at the hottest part of the time. And we're not talking like a little five-gallon bucket. These people would be carrying huge jars of water to the well to get well. This was a lot of work. There was a lot of sweat equity involved in this. And so to show up at this specific time of the day meant something that, that, that usually the people that went to the well at this time of the day were trying to avoid people. Or maybe they were being told to like, hey, avoid us. That, that was, there was some tension there. 
And that's where some of the context, where a good study Bible, like the videos I talked about earlier, really help unpack the scripture in this way. But we have some hints here at this conversation. Jesus asking her to give him a drink. And we'll continue. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked. For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. So we get some context here. That Jews and Samaritans, Jesus was a Jew, this woman was a Samaritan. There was some type of cultural tension here. And again, a good study Bible will help you, or like the videos we talked about, will help you unpack this tension. There were some historic, just cultural divisions between the Samaritans and the Jews. And if we unpack that more simply, and it existed all the way into the Old Testament where the Samaritans were some Jews that kind of intermingled with different cultures and different beliefs in the Old Testament, kind of became their own culture and, and, and their own belief system of Jewish religion to the point where they wrote their own, like the first five books of the Bible, uh, they wrote their own version of that. They created their own temple. And all of that was, God was warning his people in the Old Testament of that. But they did that. And so there was this harsh tension because they had some, some extremely um, opposite views of God's teaching and his truth and his will. And so we're seeing in the in the scripture here that that tension is coming forth so much that the woman is shocked that Jesus would even interact with her, which to me says something about Jesus. We'll continue. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you Living water is our miraculous claim, right? And he's using water as a method, as an illustration of what he wants to do in us. She says, sir, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? So it kind of flies over her head like Jesus is speaking about this water in one way. And she's missing it. She's interpreting it completely different in a physical way. Jesus is using this well, using this moment to point her to him, what he's like and what he wants for her in a spiritual sense. But she's missing it. And we continue. You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? Going back, going back to the Old Testament story. He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So she brings up kind of a historical. They're at Jacob's well, and they're, they're talking about the story where he received that well. Basically, this, this place, this well, symbolized how God had provided in the Old Testament and how he had Worked, And she brings that up because Jacob was like in high regards and they held him in high standards. God used him in a mighty way. And she's like, are you claiming that you're uh, more powerful and more important than him? This one that we remember, that we talk about, that we teach stories about? And Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never Get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. So here we are. Jesus is using this conversation to bring up eternal life. What he's like, what he wants. 
and we'll see if the woman is catching what he's saying. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water anymore. Like She's still focused on the physical well, the physical water, but Jesus is focused on something in her. In her heart, it's almost, she sounds a lot like Nicodemus in chapter three. Like, like she just wants. She's kind of bringing up these religious, uh, this religious history and these people, almost trying to get in a conversation and debate. Like, just give me the right answer. And he's like, you don't need a right answer. You need something that I want to give you a new heart. And she's missing it. So Jesus shifts the conversation. Go call your husband. He told her, and come back here. So he goes from like talking about her eternal life to like very personal. Go call your husband and tell him to come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. And he says, you have correctly said that I don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Her response, sir, the woman replied, I see you are a prophet. In other words, I see that somehow you know things about me. And this was consistent in the Old Testament. Sometimes God would reveal special knowledge about circumstances and situations to prophets. And then they would speak. So here Jesus is showing, hey, I know things about you that no one else knows about you. And so she naturally, and I think rightly, like thinks, oh wow, you must be some type of prophet. So he's aware of her life. And I think aware of where she's trying to find purpose, trying to find joy, trying to find satisfaction. So she switches again from it being personal to more of a religious debate. Where our ancestors worshipped on the mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. This is revealing some of that tension between Samaritans and their ancestors and the Jews, Jesus' lineage, and what they taught and how there's some tension there on where you worship. And Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. It will not be about a place, a physical location. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. Miraculous claim. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such to people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth, no longer bound by a certain location. There will be a new truth and a new spirit that fills God's people that lead them to worship Him in a new way that's bigger than a physical location or religious debate about a physical location, which is where she was like steering the conversation. Jesus is like, hey, listen, there's a new way to view God and how He's about to work in the world. And He's going to work through His Spirit, and through some new truth that he's going to reveal. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. So now she's beginning to kind of get, get at like all these things he's saying. She's like, oh wow, you're, you're talking about the Messiah who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus just explained everything to her. Jesus just explained that he knew her, knew things about her. Jesus told her, I the one speaking to you am he. Just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he were talking to a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? There he is clearly saying, hey, the one you th- 
are looking for. I'm him in the flesh, the one you're waiting to bring God's word to you. I'm come. And this just points us back to like John 1 and 2 and 3, like the one has come who, who is going to reveal God in a new, fresh way in spirit and in a new truth. Jesus has come. And his disciples are shocked that this conversation is happening again, which tells us something about Jesus. It says, Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they left the town and made their way to him. You know what I like about this response? The people she was trying to avoid, the people that caused her to go at the hottest part of the day to the well. So there was no doubt some tension between her and these people. And that could be shame. That could be about her reputation. That could be about her lifestyle that Jesus revealed to her. Hey, you're looking for purpose and love in the wrong places in the wrong way. And I know it. And it sounds like everybody else in the town knew about it because of the context here. And then she turns right back around to the people that she was no doubt afraid of, no doubt scared of. She no doubt feared their view of her. And she got, because of this interaction with Jesus, she is changed in a way that she is willing to go back to this place of shame with a new freedom and a new hope and a new message. That's the heart change that Jesus has been talking about. So they left the town and made their way to him, And in the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. And he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? So the, again, this miraculous phrase, like he's using food just like he used the well to teach his disciples a lesson. Hey, I'm so focused on a purpose. I have a vision for my life and I'm so focused on what God wants me to do. It satisfies me just like food does. And I'm focused on that. He's trying to open his eyes to the disciples. Like they're not seeing how this interaction he's having with this woman is meant to show them something and teach them something. And us too. And us too. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus said to them. New vision, new perspective. Meant to create a new vision, a new perspective in us. Going a little bit further into chapter 4. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. He has this knowledge that only God has. What, what does that mean about him? So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed with them two days. And many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. Some miraculous claims, some miraculous signs are happening in this story. What I want to do now is just, again, unpack some things from this story a little bit. And come back to our two questions. What does this story help us see? What is Jesus like? What does he want? Number one, I think if we were to simply ask this question, I kind of hinted at this as we went through the story. How can we describe Jesus based on this interaction in John chapter 4? 
the very fact that this interaction happens, right? And take my and your assumptions about how God works and the type of people that God works through and the type of people that, that Jesus wants to speak to and the type of people that Jesus wants to be seen sitting beside at a place where, you know, and at a time where people didn't necessarily want to be there. I mean, you just take the context of this story. It happens in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day, at a place where it was almost like, and again, if you unpack this and a great study Bible would help this, you would learn that, man, this was a time when really social outcasts went to get water. People who had reputations, people who were either just judged by their society, people that didn't want to be seen by people, people you didn't want to be seen with. And here Jesus is being seen with someone like that. And not only being seen with them, having an interaction about them and, and willing to teach them and willing to help them see who he is. What does that say about him? To me, that just says, God, he's humble. Just think about how you, how you, your perspective and maybe how you grew up, how you think God is going to show up and work in the world or work in people's lives or work in people's situations. And here we have a Savior who's tired, who just needs a drink of water and uses this opportunity to have an interaction with someone who was not expecting it. That shows me that, man, Jesus is humble. Jesus is willing to talk to anyone. Willing to interact with anyone. You know, I bet this woman wasn't dressed the best. She's probably dirty. I bet her feet. I mean, the hottest part of the day, maybe hot winds, dust, sand flies all over the place. There's no doubt she wasn't put together and dressed the best. There's no telling how far she walked to get here. Jesus doesn't look at any of that. No doubt Jesus knew the type of people that showed up at the well at this time. People with the past, people that maybe have made a mistake or public mistake, people that had a reputation. And he's willing to sit down beside her and interact with her. What's that say about him working in our lives? Some of us have grown up, and if you don't wear the right type of skirt, you don't have the right type of hairdo, man, that may, be, that may limit God working in your life. If you don't show up dressed a certain way, if you have a certain type of past, if you've done certain sins then that, that you have grown up, or maybe you've just learned through people's experiences, or maybe in experiences in the church that you're kind of pushed off to the side, like this woman maybe felt. And if we're not careful... Instead of coming to the Word and coming to Jesus and His truth and His Word, instead of doing that, we can lean too much on our experiences and what people taught us growing up. No matter who they are, dad, grandpa, preacher, it doesn't matter. If we don't build our faith and our view of Jesus on His truth and on His stories about Him and His interactions, we can get off on what we think Jesus is like. And the type of people we think Jesus wants to work through and interact with. Which can cause us to go, Jesus couldn't use me. Because of blank, 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 and blank. Some of us looked at the story and you're like, I'm the woman at the well. I'm that person that feels like she did. That's showing up to places where nobody else wants to be seen. That walks indoors or walks into work and it's just like, oh gosh, I hope, I wonder if they know. God couldn't, God wouldn't, somebody like me. This story, I hope this story challenges you to say, that's not true. Jesus would, and he is willing. How gracious, how humble, how merciful, how patient, how empowering is this Jesus? Number two, 
believe Jesus. I look at the story, first three chapters of John, there just seems to be this theme of believing Jesus, believing certain things about Jesus, that He is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and the hope for all mankind. He says this, that I, the one who am speaking to you, am He. I'm the one who's come to the world that's ready to give the world new life and new hope. And this changes this entire town comes to faith in this. Again, a town that Jesus' followers, his disciples, would over, were overlooking. That the religious leaders overlooking, shunning, judging, pushing to the side. But people who were just willing to listen to Jesus and respond to his words. He shows himself to them and brings them a hope and a purpose. This is who he is. He's the Messiah. He's the purpose. He's the reason you're here. Like John said in John chapter 1, he's the one who created all things. He created you with purpose. And he is the one where we find our true purpose, where our relationship with God, no matter what we've done, who we are, where we've been, our relationship can be restored through our faith in Jesus and who he is as the Messiah. As the one who wants to save us from our sins and satisfy us more than our sins. John talks about that in chapter 1. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in John chapter 3, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, we see that for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, Jesus, that whoever would believe in Him would be saved from their sins and have everlasting life. That hope is true for you. That hope is true for me. We can have that hope, that salvation today. But not just that. He doesn't just want to save us from our sins. He wants to satisfy us more than our sins. And that's what I love about Jesus' first statement in this conversation. If you knew who I was and and the gift of God that I could give you, you would ask and I would give you living water. Living water that would well up inside you like a spring of living water overflowing with life. He wants to satisfy us more than our sins. We see a woman who leaves her water jar at the well because she is now satisfied with something bigger. She, her heart has been changed. She's experienced something that leads her to go back and share this with her town and the people closest to her because Jesus doesn't just want to save us for our sins for heaven. Some of us grew up believing in the gospel that was shared with us. Well, do you want to go to hell when you die? Well, no one's going to say yes to that question. So I was like, well, yeah, no, I don't. What do I need to do? So our faith is mainly about Jesus saving us for heaven then instead of Jesus satisfying us now. That's the picture that we see when Jesus says, I can give you living water that's like a spring flowing up within you with a new purpose and new hope and new joy. Experiencing eternal life in Jesus isn't about getting to heaven when we die necessarily. It's about experiencing eternal life now while we live. That's the life He wants to give us. That's what He wants to fill us with. It's it's different than, do you want to go to hell when you die or want to go to heaven when you die? It's do you want to receive what He wants to give you now? That's the invitation of Jesus. We also see in this story He's willing to use anyone at any time in any place for His purposes. Anyone, anytime, any place for His purposes. This person 
in this town that responds to him is a beautiful example. Whoever you are, no matter what season of life you're in, no matter where you've gone, if you're willing to respond like they were, he's ready too. But in that response, we have to ask this question. And I think this story teaches us this. What can you leave behind today so that you can receive what Jesus wants to give you? Jesus revealed that she had to leave something behind, the way that she was looking for fulfillment and purpose. So she was looking to relationships and to people to be that thing that fills her. He's like, no. And he reveals that to her in this conversation. Some of us can relate. Some of us, it may be our job. It may be a performance. It may just be a fear of failure. That, that kind of that's the thing, that's the mindset that dominates our perspective and our life. And Jesus wants to reframe that today. And so just like the woman, she had to leave those things behind. Her leaving her water jar at the well symbolizes that when we come to Jesus, anyone's welcome to come exactly like they are. But no one can stay that way. Because Jesus is inviting us into something new to receive something new. In order to be able to receive something new from him, we've got to be willing to let go of the things that could be holding us back where we find our purpose, our joy, our freedom in, so that we can find that purpose and joy and freedom in Him. A couple of statements for you. And I think this is really true of our context in the Bible Belt. Obedience is greater than knowledge, and willingness is greater than experience. Somehow here in the Bible Belt, we've got this backwards thinking that knowledge and right answers and Sunday school answers and knowledge about God somehow earns you a reputational respect more than actual obedience to God. And Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and this woman, per her conversation towards the beginning, is a great example. Hey, you have some knowledge about me? Man, you're not being obedient to me. Maybe you've had some experiences, or maybe there's a lack of experiences. That doesn't matter. Are you simply willing to believe my words and follow my teaching? Some of us are thinking we don't know enough. That doesn't matter. Are you willing to respond today to what Jesus is inviting you, the step he's inviting you to take? Some of us think because of our knowledge, we can be a little easy on this part of our life. Oh, it's okay. Be careful. Be careful you're putting too much claim in your knowledge rather than your obedience. Be careful that you're leaning too much on your experience. Well, I've been in this all my life. I get it. I understand. Are you still willing to simply obey and follow Jesus in your daily life? Or your lack of experience doesn't keep you back. Just like this woman at the well. Her willingness opened up the future that God had for her, the purpose he wanted to give her. So if I give you like a, a three-part phrase that, that I think you can apply to any situation in your life right now and that this story kind of helps us grasp, it would be this. Embrace who Jesus is. This goes back to the themes in John that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the one who gives us purpose, the one who God has sent so that you and I would find new purpose and new, a new reason to live. He is the way, the truth, and life. He's the Savior of the world. 
embracing that. Embracing that. He was the one who was with God in the beginning. He's Lord of all creation. Number two, seek to be filled with his teachings. This story is an example of how Jesus is willing to share his teachings with someone who's willing to listen, who's willing to open up, who's willing to make this a practice in your life to expose your heart to the teachings of Jesus. That's what we've done here today together. You can do this on a daily basis. What would happen just for the next week? You just decided, hey, new mindset. I'm just going to embrace who Jesus is and believe him. I want to be seek to be filled with his teachings. I'm going to expose myself to, to music that talks about him, to, to, to reading the Bible. Just start in John for the next six days and just read one chapter a day. Just, just, just open up your life to his teaching so that he can speak to you and be willing to let go and take a step of faith whenever the opportunity comes up. She's a beautiful example. This woman's faith and her willingness and her obedience in this story is a great example. Your experience doesn't matter and your knowledge doesn't matter. What matters is your willingness to let go and take a step of faith. I don't know what letting go looks like for you today, but Jesus does. And if he's showing you what you know you should let go of, take that step today. Take that step today. Take it. The very end of John He writes this, the author writes this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. What's Jesus like? He's the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. And what does he want? You to have life in his name. Eternal life in His name, like a river of living water flowing up inside of you with new purpose, new hope, forgiveness, so that you're restored back to a relationship with Him from your sins and a new purpose, a new identity, becoming a son or a daughter of God with a new vision for your life, that you may live your life having life in His name. I leave you with a simple prayer that you can pray this week as you start your new year. And it is this, Jesus Messiah, Savior of the world, fill me today with your love, your grace, and your truth. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this story that shows us what you're like and what you want. I pray that we all can see our next step right now to believe and embrace who you are, that you're the Savior of the world who takes away our sins through our faith in you, through the cross, through the resurrection. You are the living, breathing Word of God. You are the Savior of the world. You are our Savior, the one who made us, the one that we find purpose in. Show us that in a new way today. You want to fill us with the eternal life, new life, new purpose, just like you did in the story. I pray that we would see what we need to let go of today and what you want to give us in a new way today, whether it's for the first time or the thousandth time. Lord, lead us in your truth and grace today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.